writers wrote to different classes of people. And you must know this when you study the word of the Lord. For the Bible said in 1 Corinthians 10, 32, God deals with the Jew, the Gentile, and the church. So anytime you study the Bible, apply the right scripture, the right group, and you won't have any trouble understanding the word of the Lord. One of the greatest problems we have in Christianity today is where so many are taking scriptures given to the Jew and applying it to the church. And brother, that's why we have so many difficulties in Christianity. Scripture to the Jew, you apply to the Jew. Scripture to the church, apply to the church. To the Gentiles, apply to the Gentile. And when you take Scripture to the Jew and apply to the church, you're misusing the word of the Lord. And one of the great problems we have today in liberalism is that they say God is finished with the Jew and all the promises to the Jew are fulfilled in the church. And that is not true. Paul said in Romans 11, God has not cast away his people. And so Matthew was written to the Jews to reveal Jesus as the coming king. And when you study the 28 chapters of Matthew, you always see him as the coming king. When you read the gospel according to Mark 16 chapters, Jesus there is the suffering servant written unto the Romans who are then in power. He is the suffering servant. In the gospel according to Luke, written to the Greeks, the great minds of that day, Jesus is the perfect man. And then in the Gospel of John, written to the Christians, he is the Son of the living God. As so all we study the four Gospels in that life. As we said in Matthew, Jesus is the coming King. And all the way through Matthew, you see him in that position. Remember the first chapter of Matthew is the genealogy of the coming King. The second chapter of Matthew is the birth of the King. When the wise men came to Jerusalem looking for the King. The third chapter of Matthew, John the Baptist said, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Denunciation now of the kingdom. Then the fourth chapter of Matthew, the King shows his power over the devil, his adversary, showing his temptations in the wilderness, power to reign. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, which were commonly called the Sermon on the Mount, is not to the church today. This is the constitution and the bylaws of the government the king is going to set up when he comes to reign upon this earth. You cannot live the Sermon on the Mount. You try it. You cannot do it. That's the way people shall live in the kingdom age. That's given to the Jew. Matthew 8 and 9, the king shows his power over diseases, demons, and elements, this power to reign. In the 10th chapter of Matthew, he calls his cabinet, his disciples now, to follow him. And then the 11th chapter, he said to them, do not go to the Gentiles, but go to the house of Israel only, and say the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, since to the Jews, they're looking for the kingdom of heaven. Now, to we Christians, it's the kingdom of God. It's two different things altogether. The kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is an earthly kingdom. The kingdom of God is for we of the church age, you save, that you shall be caught up in the rapture, and the kingdom of heaven is for the Jew when he come back and reign over them and set up his kingdom. It's two different things altogether. And so in the 11 chapters that go but the house of Israel only, and say the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then in the 12th chapter, the Jews rejected him as their king and they commit what is called the unportable sin the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit of God now from then on Jesus as he turns his back upon them as because they rejected him he heads toward Jerusalem that holy city and from the, the uh, 14th chapter over to the 20th 
third chapter, Jesus shows his going to Jerusalem. Now, he comes to Jerusalem in the 23rd chapter. He calls the Jews that live there, the religious leaders, a bunch of hypocrites. He used the word hypocrite in that chapter more than any place in all the word of God put together. Jesus used that word. So if you don't like it, blame him for it. He's the one that gave it to us. And he comes to Jerusalem. Now, the people have rejected him. His heart is broken. And Jesus stands upon Mount Olive, look westward down upon the holy city, and he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how oft I would have gathered you, and then gathered chicks unto her, and you would not come unto me. And with this broken, contrite heart, he delivers his message called the Olive Discourse now unto the Jewish people. And so Matthew, the 24th chapter, it said that Jesus went out and departed from the temple. His disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be torn down. And as he said upon the Mount of Olives, his disciples came unto him privately, saying, Now who were those disciples? Well, Luke tells us they were Peter, James, and John, his three leaders. And they asked him three questions. First of all, what shall be the, they said, were the destruction of this temple? You talk about one stone shall not be left upon another. When shall this happen? When shall this take place? Well, you remember it was 70 year, 70 AD or 37 years after Jesus made this statement that General Titus moved in with this massive Roman army, besieged the city of Jerusalem 53 days. The city fell. Women were raped and ravished by the Roman soldiers. 100,000 people died and the uh, Romans believing that the Jews had all the treasures in the temple. They tore the temple apart and not one stone was left upon another. Now how did Jesus know that was going to happen 37 years into the future? It proves here he's not a man, he's the man, the Son of God. Only God can do that. The second part of the question is, what is the sign of thy coming? And then ask for a group of signs, but it said the sign of thy coming. And the third part of the question, the end of the age or the end of the world. Now from the fourth verse to the 14th verse, Jesus gives us 10 things. Now these 10 things have been going on for the last 2,000 years, ever since Jesus left this earth. But they've never happened all in the same generation until this generation. And that makes us tonight unique the most unique people that ever lived upon this earth. For no other generation can stand up in 2,000 years and say, we've seen all these things happening at the same time. Now, what were these things? Well, beginning with the fourth verse, Jesus answered and said unto them, take heed that no man deceive you. Be a time of great deception. For what said, what? So it goes on and says, you shall, uh, you hear, many shall come in my name and saying, I am Christ. And you shall hear wars and rumors of wars. See that should be not troubled for all these things must an imperative verb it must come to pass but the end is not yet for nations shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in divers or many places all these are the beginning of sorrows of the birth pains and then it goes on and says then that they should deliver you up to be afflicted who are that the Jewish people they'll be delivered up be afflicted you should be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then he goes on and said the, uh, one other thing, and notice in the 13th verse, you shall then, in, he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel 
of the kingdom shall be preached as a witness to all nations, for a witness to all nations, and then shall the end come. And we are the only generation where all these things are taking place at the same time. Now when you study your Old Testament, all through the pages from Genesis up to Malachi, there are five basic teachings found in the Old Testament and the law and the prophets. First of all, that God is one God. Him only shall thou serve. Now that's basic to all the 39 books and all the prophets' writings of that Old Testament. And you'll find all the other religions had many gods. But the Lord wants to keep before the world that just one God. And this became the foundation and the basis for Judaism because in Deuteronomy 6, 4, he said, There is one God, one Lord, him only shall thou serve. The second thing taught all through the Old Testament, that God is holy. God is holy. Now, God is love, but that's not the real essence of God. God is merciful. Yes, he is, but that's not the essence of God. God is grace, and God is kind. Yes, but the basic of all of it is God is holy, and out of that holiness, it demands righteousness, and that righteousness reveals his love, and therefore, because of his holiness, he demands that his people be holy also, and that's all through the Old Testament. Third thing, when you study the Old Testament, basically you'll find one thing, that the word of God is true. There is no error to it. Everything is true. Everything shall come to pass just like God said it would happen. There's over 7,000 promises of the Old Testament that God said would come to pass, and every one of them up to this day has happened just like he said it. His word is true. There is no error. Every bit of it, you can accept it as that God stood here himself and spoke it unto every one of us. And if you ever question the Bible, you'll question the authority and the word of the living God. The fourth thing revealed to the Old Testament is that Israel is God's people. Now when I say that, Israel is the apple of his eye as Zechariah said, there's one group of people in this earth. He loves all men, but there's one group that stands out, one group that he loves, and that is the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that's found all through that Old Testament. And last of all, he prophesied the Messiah is going to come back one day and put his people upon this earth in peace and in righteousness. Now that's the message of the Old Testament. Now when you get to the New Testament, you'll find Jesus is the fulfillment of all the prophecies and all the teachings of the Old Testament. So when you study the life of Jesus, everything that God wanted to reveal in the Old Testament, Jesus is the revelation of that in the New Testament. And when you study the New Testament, you must see Jesus in it. And if you don't see him, you miss the message. In the Old Testament, he's the shadows and the types. In the New Testament, here is the fulfillment. When you read the Old Testament, all the seven feast days given to the Jewish people reveal the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Passover. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5 eight, Christ is the Passover lamb. In 1 Corinthians 5 eight, Paul said Christ is the unleavened. He is the second feast day. Then he is the first fruit of them slept. 1 Corinthians 15.20 
Christ is the first fruit of them that slept. The Bible said he is the first offering, the new meal offering. He is the feast of the trumpet. He is our tabernacle. As it came to the tabernacle among us, he is the day of atonement, the Yom Kippur. All the seven feast days that God gave to the Jews, Jesus is the fulfillment of that. And they missed it. Also the daily offerings and sacrifices that God gave to his people, Jesus is the fulfillment of that. When you study the five daily offerings in Leviticus, the first five chapters, you'll find it revealed Jesus. He's the shadow and type. The first is called the burnt offering. Remember in the Old Testament, the first time the burnt offering is mentioned is in Genesis after the flood. Noah went up and built an altar to the Lord and offered a burnt offering unto the Lord. The burnt offering was given everything, the whole animal unto God. And then the second one was called the meal offering. Leviticus the second chapter and there was no animal blood to be shed in that. It was fine flour, sifted, unleavened bread. It's time of purification and dedication and consecration. Then the next feast day was called the peace offering. And then the fourth one was called the sin offering. And last of all the trespass offering. Sins against your fellow man. And Jesus is the fulfillment of every one of those daily sacrifices. It was six o'clock in the morning when the burnt offering was being offered that the soldiers come to take Jesus to crucify him. He's the burnt offering given everything unto the Father. And then at nine o'clock in the morning when the priest would have the unleavened bread offering. Why Pilate said, I find no fault in him. He is purification. He is the unleavened. Twelve o'clock noon when the priest would go into the temple to offer the peace offering. Christ hangs on the cross to make peace before God for man's sin. And three o'clock in the afternoon when the priest was offering the sin offering at the very hour called the ninth hour, Jesus on the cross said it is finished and the atonement for sin is made. And then he was placed at six o'clock in the trespass offering in the tomb of his fellow man. Everything in that Old Testament revealed itself in Jesus. He's the fulfillment in the New Testament. And when you study the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, if you don't see Jesus, you miss the message. He's the sum total of everything. 31,175 verses, but they all talk about him. For the blood of Jesus circulates throughout all the pages of the living word of God. And your 804,000 497 words make up the word of God but he is the living word and when you study the Bible there's 3 million 366,481 letters that makes up the word of God and he is the first letter and he is the last letter it's all about the Lord Jesus Christ he is the fulfillment and to prove that he is the fulfillment he had to perform in such a way and do some things that no other man could do to prove he is different from any man upon the face of this earth and that's why he made his appearance in a virgin birth it was God encased in him flesh. It had never happened before. Never in all of history. Yes, God put man upon this earth and he brought forth man upon this earth and without a mother and now he brings forth his son without a father upon this earth. He performed something never happened before and the virgin birth was God coming down encased in human flesh. The man that walked in human flesh can put on divine image of a living God. He came down to this earth in the darkness of the night. 
that man might go from the darkness of sin and the presence of the light of glory. And when he came down to this earth, oh, Satan tried to seduce him, and the grave tried to hold him, and death tried to destroy him. But he came forth three days missing on the battlefield of time to be victorious over sin and Satan and hell, to give the man peace and happiness and joy and tranquility for time and eternity. And when he came to this earth, he came forth, my friend, to be to man a, a riches of glory that man who lived in poverty might put on that riches. He took man from the gutters of sin and put him on the streets of gold in eternity. It was Jesus that all about him. And not only through this virgin birth was he different, but his life upon this earth reveals he was different. No man ever walked this earth like Jesus. He said, which of you convinced me of sin? Pilate said, I find no fault in him. And the soldiers said, we betrayed innocent blood. And the thief on the cross said, this one is innocent. There's never been a person who walked upon this earth. He was perfect before he came. He was perfect when he walked this earth. He was perfect when he left this earth. He's perfect today. He can't be any better. He's the best. He can't be any worse. He's the best. It's Jesus of Nazareth, my friend, who came forth in Nazareth, who spent his life in Galilee, who walked the streets of Jerusalem, and one day shall come back in the new Jerusalem to reign with his people forever and forever. And I like when it said in the scripture that Paul said he was rich, became poor, that we live in poverty, might become rich in him. Why, when he came, he laid aside the purple gowns of kingship and put on the peasant robes of humanity, that man might put on the glory of God and walk to the pearly gates in the presence of the omnipotent one. When he came to this earth, he borrowed a manger that he make his interest before man. He borrowed a coin from a fish's mouth to pay his taxes. He borrowed a boat on the Sea of Galilee to be a pulpit that preached to disciples. He borrowed a lunch of little boy to feed the 5,000 men. He borrowed the home of Peter and Capernaum and Mary, Martha, and Lazarus at Bethany. And sometimes no one invited Jesus to go home with him. He would lie down in the hillside in the coolness of the midnight hour. And the Father would take the clouds upon a blanket to cover his son. In the morning time, the Father would dispel the blanket and turn on the furnace of heaven that his son might rise and minister to the needs of people once again. He borrowed a donkey that he might ride in Jerusalem. He borrowed the upper room that he might fellowship with his disciples. He borrowed a Passover substance to institute the Lord's Supper. He went out to a borrowed garden and won the battle over sin and Satan. And then they put him on a borrowed cross. It was not his cross. It was the cross of Barabbas who had been sentenced to die. He borrowed a sinner's cross and then they put him in a borrowed tomb. From the time of his birth to the time of his death, he borrowed everything that man who had nothing would have everything in eternity. Yes, all to the Old Testament, all to the New Testament. He is the fulfillment. His birth, virgin birth was different. His vicarious life upon this earth was different. His victorious resurrection was different. Others that rose from the grave. Elijah resurrected a boy and a man, but never before as one rose from the grave and still lived because all the others died. He still lives, and because of that, we too can live. I like the little course that says, He lives, He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me. He talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, He lives. Salvation to impart. You ask me how. I know in His brother, He lives within my heart. He is alive tonight, and because He's alive, I can pray to Him. 
because he's alive I can fellowship with him because he's alive he can save even unto the uttermost Jesus yes his life will different but one other thing we do and that is that he's the fulfillment he is the Messiah he's the one that's coming back it was prophesied preached and proclaimed all through the scriptures but now Jesus came to be the fulfillment of that he's coming back one day as he comes back he's coming back to set up this kingdom the reign over his people the Jews is king of kings and the Lord of lords sometimes I've had people say well brother Ed Jesus is our king no he's not your king he's not the king of the church no he's the king to the Jew when he came in Bethlehem the wise men said where is he that is born king of the Jews when he died on the cross they put the words up there he is the king of the Jews oh he's not our king he is our savior he is our bridegroom he is our high priest but one day he's coming back to be the king of his people and we shall reign with him as king of kings upon the throne with him as first Corinthians 6 2 said he's coming back now when you study the Bible you'll find all the scriptures of the teaching the doctrine of the second coming of the Lord I am not looking for the second coming I'm looking for the rapture the Jews looking for his coming but I'm looking for his rapture I'm coming with him when he comes back to this earth it's a different thing altogether and I think preachers have done much to confuse Christians about the second coming and the rapture why the rapture could happen anytime if it happened tonight we should be caught up to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord then there'll be a judgment seat you have to stand before to answer for the way we lived our Christian life and then there'll be a marriage of the bride and the bridegroom and Jesus united with his church and then he shall come back with his bridegroom to reign on this earth 1,000 years that is what we call the second coming of the Lord so from the time of their catching up until he comes back it's a period of seven years revealed in Daniel the ninth chapter called Daniel 70th week and so therefore when you talk about the second coming actually we as Christians we're looking for the rapture and the catching up of the saint of God now when you study your scripture you'll find all through the pages of it it talks about the second coming the Messiah coming well the prophecies is not about the rapture they're about the second coming and the second coming of Jesus is so close then how much closer is the catching up of the saints of God which takes seven years before the second coming of the Lord so tonight I want to show you some things that's happening there's four things taking place re related to the Jewish people in Matthew the 24th chapter and of all these things are happening right now and reveals his second coming then how much closer is the rapture the catching up of the saints of the Lord now what are the things well first of all did you notice something beginning with that fourth verse of Matthew 24 there was going to be animosity in the world that was one of the very first things revealed what is the Lord saying he said it's going to be a time of great deception there's going to be a time of wars and rumors of wars there'll be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in many places there'll be a hatred for the Jew upon this earth there'll be a people shall be offended all this is happening folks it's never been a generation where all these are taking place at the same time until this generation and so that's the first thing
sustain the will of animosity. I have no doubt in my mind we're living at that time. I gathered from Jack Van Impey recently some statements I want to read to you and call to your attention. This is an amazing thing that I found. And he gave us some information. Alcohol. It's a demon's rum, it's called. Has done more to damage and ruin America than anything we've ever had. It's a drug. Brother, it's one of the first drugs we had in this country. You talk about drug-addicted people. Brother, when you partake of alcohol, you are on drugs. And what is it? Drugs are nothing but the devil controlling the mind of a person. The Bible said, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging. Whosoever drinketh thereof is not wise. In other words, your dumbbell. And the Bible said, look not upon the wine when it is red. But sometimes there's liquor hounds that get up and say, well, there's nothing wrong in wine. But Jesus took water and made wine in Cain of Galilee, the first miracle, so it must be all right. Now you go back and read John 2. He did not take juice and make wine. He took water and made wine. Go back and read it. He didn't take juice. Men takes juice to make wine. And if anybody today of any brewery can take water and make wine out of it, I drink every bit of it you make. And I preach about telling you you're right. Brother, you can't do that. But he didn't take uh, something. Water is not fermented. Wine, yet, yes, there's formation. I don't care if it's grape juice. There's a little formation there somewhere, but that, which is impurity. But Jesus took water, which is not the minute, the most purest thing on this earth, H2O, and produced something that man had never tasted before. No wonder they said, we've never tasted anything like that. They sure hadn't, brother, before or since either. Nothing like it. He took water and made wine. So don't accuse Jesus of making wine like you have today. He didn't do that. And so when, t- and when t- Timothy said, take a little wine for your stomachs. He said, first of all, little wine. And he said, for your stomachs, eh? And that word there is oinos, not oinon. It's a different word altogether in the Greek. And it was used for medicine in those days. And if used for medicine, just a little dose of it, one spoonful, I guess it might be all right. But that's not what people are doing today. It's a different thing. And the church covenant that every church had, Baptist churches, you said when you joined the Baptist church, you would abstain from the sale of, and drinking of alcohol beverages. And when you do, you broke your church covenant. They ought to church you and kick you out. The Bible said we draw fellowship from those who walk disorderly among you. How can we get people saved when we got a booze hounds in the church? It just don't stand up, folks. God's against it. He teaches against it. Now, if you don't think it's wrong, listen to this. Here's a statement put out in Kansas Board of Regencies. And they said there's 20 million alcoholics in America. There's 20 million drug-addicted people in America. 20% of all the freezing deaths in America are caused by alcohol. 25% of choking deaths in America are caused by alcohol. 36% of pedestrians' death is caused by alcohol. 50% of all the deaths from falls are caused by alcohol. 50% of all teenager motor vehicle deaths are caused by alcohol. 52% of all the fire deaths in America is caused by alcohol. 60% of all suicides in America is caused by alcohol. 64% of all murders in America is called by alcohol. 69% of all drownings in America is called by alcohol. 76% of three-fourths of all aircraft deaths in America is called by alcohol. 
And not only that, but 72% of all robberies and assaults in America is because people have been drinking. And 80% of all criminal court cases in America are called by alcohol. And 60% of all rapes in America is a result of alcohol. And you mean to tell me there's nothing wrong with it? Brother, this is an age of amosity. There's no doubt about it. A drug-addicted people of all kinds of drugs. And brother, there's never been an age like we have today. I believe, brother, we're facing judgment of God. God's going to judge us. You don't get by by sinning and think that the Lord's going to overlook it. He doesn't pay off every Friday, but there's a payday coming. And so this is the age of amosity. But not only that, but this is the age of apostasy. Remember what the scripture said in Matthew 24? The gospel shall be preached the witness to all nations. And it said, what the love of many shall wax cold. The love of many shall wax cold. Have you ever had such a generation? I've been preaching now 48 years. I have found in this generation now, right now, is the worst time I have ever experienced in 48 years in ministry. In 55 years I've been saved. I've never in my life seen such lukewarmness and indifference as we have in Christianity today. Or we can agree with old prophet Jeremiah when Jeremiah said in the Old Testament, my pastors have transgressed against me and my priests have turned their back upon me. There's never been a time from the pulpit to the pew we've had so much sin running rampant as we have today in the churches. It's an age today of apostasy, a falling away. Brother, you can't get folks to teach anymore. You can't get them out knocking on doors anymore. You can't get folks to visit. They won't talk to people about the souls. It just don't happen anymore. Our churches become playhouses until the house of prayer. Our church become recreational centers until the place of repentance. Our church become the place today, a social club. It's a place of salvation for sinners. And we've got away from the basic program God has put before us. And today we have so many meetings we're going to, so many things we're doing, we don't have time to do the basic thing that God has placed before us. One pastor told me not too long ago, he said, Brother Ed, God called me to preach, but I haven't had the liberty to do it. I have so much going on. He said, over half my church members have been divorced, and he said, I'm trying to keep my church members straightened out. Most of the kids of our church, the families worry over them because they're drinking and on dope and everything else, and mothers and dads and families are splitting up, divorced Divorces are coming in, over one million divorces in America last year. And he said, I don't have time to study my Bible. I don't have time to deal with my people anymore in spiritual things because I'm trying to take care of the physical problems and the mental problems we have in our church. And God have mercy upon us that we put the emphasis on the wrong thing. Brother, God called us to preach. He calls today and saved us as every church member here tonight. They've been saved by the blood of Jesus. He put you here to tell others about the Lord. That's your main business. And anything you're doing, if it doesn't bring people to save, you're in the wrong business. You ought to get out of it. And if he didn't have a job for you to do when he saved you, he'd have took you on home to glory that very day. He left you here because he's not finished with you. This is the age of apostasy. John was right when he said in Laodicean churches in Revelation 3, you're the hot and the cold because you're lukewarm. I'll spew thee out of my mouth. God gets sick of his stomach at the lukewarm Christianity we have today. 
Folks, today they're not interested in going to church. You want to pack a church? I tell you how to do it. It's very easy. Bring in a Hollywood football player. Bring in a super television star. Bring in a big sport figure and a movie star. And they'll come for that, folks. Give a free barbecue. Have a big uh, crawfish dinner. Boy, they'll come out for that. But you're invited to come out and talk about the Bible. And you can't get half the members to come anymore. It's an age of apostasy that has come upon us. The third thing we build in the scripture, the gospel.